Hey, welcome to Adventures in Angular, the podcast where we keep you updated on all things Angular related. This show is produced by two companies, Top and Devs and Envoy. Top and Devs is where we create top and devs who get top in pay and recognition while working on interesting problems and making meaningful community contributions. Envoid offers remote design and web development services with specialization in Angular for companies that truly care about quality. In today's episode, we'll talk about Angular signals in practice. Our guest, Eduardo Roth, wrote an article about his experience building an app with Angular signals. We'll talk about his first thoughts, what he liked, what he didn't like, how easy it was to use Signals, and how to bridge Signals with RxJS. My name is Lucas Paganini. I'm the CEO of Envoid and your host in the podcast. Joining me in today's episode is Charles Maxwood from Top and Devs. Hey! And Eduardo Ruff, our special guest for today. Hello, good morning, and thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure for me. Thank you for taking the time. Eduardo, let's get started. So the premise of today's episode is that we won't talk too much about the theory and concepts of signals because everybody's talking about that, right? So we're going to talk about how it is to actually use signals in practice. So how was the experience? I I just wanted to kind of pick your initial thoughts and then perhaps we can dive deeper from there. Okay, so for me, it was it, it was like I've been working with RxJS for a long time and having to use the mm-hmm. observables and the subscriptions, a sync pipe and everything just to have, well, for example, if you get one observable and you want to have the values in your template, you will need to subscribe to it and then assign that to another variable or maybe use the async pipe in your in your application. But with signals, because it's synchronous, you only need to call. Well, this is something that many, many people will say that you are not supposed to call a function in your template, right? Because you, you have to, to get the value of the signal, you need to call it. But for me, it's uh, like easier to implement or to work with because you are not handling asynchronous values. You are not handling sub- subscriptions. You are just, you only need to have the, the signal and just call it to get the value of it. Of it mm-hmm. Sorry. So from the developer experience uh, perspective, I think it's uh, a simpler approach to using values and implementing reactivity in your code. But it's not like, a, because there's a, there's a lot of, of a talk about signals replacing RxJS, but I don't think that it's a complete replacement, but something that should be used alongside RxJS. So signals have like these uh, synchronous task and things that you can use with that, but RxJS still has a, has a place in Angular, in your Angular applications. So I have two questions on this. One is, we've been kind of looking at and reading a whole bunch of things about signals. Like Lucas said, we actually did another podcast episode, and I think Armin went into some depth as far as what is being said about signals, but I don't think he had tried the reference implementation that they've kind of been putting into Angular, but haven't, I guess, fully released. And so I'm curious, does your experience with signals kind of line up with what people are talking about it being able to do? Or are people fundamentally understand misunderstanding what it does from what they're reading on the internet versus what angular is actually implementing or implemented so far i think that when people heard about angular signals uh their first thought was this is going to replace rxjs this is going to simplify the way that we implement reactivity Mm -hmm. in angular and we no longer have to worry about subscriptions observables and things like that but the real thing is that signals is going to help developers to to 
in the long term, it, it might replace or it might be and it might enable some less applications. But for right now, for for developers, it's going to make it easier to implement some reactivity in the in their code. Like you, you don't have to worry about observables. But for example, if you want to have a synchronous task or just an HTTP call, you'll still mm-hmm. will you will still rely with with observables. So I think that the first approach that people had was this is going to to change the way that Angular works. And it, it is going to change how we, we work with Angular, but not the way that people thought. Okay. But they work more or less like if you go read the implementation in SolidJS or I think Preact built theirs in, it, it's going to work mostly the same as those, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I've been checking out some differences between the Signals implementation in Angular versus the implementation in other frameworks. And it's mostly syntax changes. So there are implementations where you just do like signal.value, and then you have this Mm -hmm. getter property, which if you look at it, it seems like you're just accessing a regular property of an object, but internally it's actually a getter that is registering the dependency and automatically updating it when the things that it depends on changes. But on Angular, they decided to really use it as a function. So all signals are a function. So if you have a signal, you just call it like a, a regular function. Mm-hmm. And this is the way that you you get the value. But other than that, other than s- syntactic changes, it's really the same concept. The, mm-hmm. And that actually was, that was a great question because in the Angular RFC, the, the request for comments that they opened for the community to give their inputs about Angular signals, there was a section about why not just use a library that implements signals, why rewrite it? Why create an implementation just for Angular? And there, right. are, there are many reasons for that, but mostly is because they don't want to have something that is going to be such a core thing from the framework depend on an external implementation. So if they want to have full control over the implementation such that they can really integrate it with how they want it to work with the Angular internals. And yeah, it's actually mostly that. Well, I can see also if the difference is mostly syntactic. I mean, I I want it to be natural to me as an Angular developer to use it the same way I use everything else. And so it just gives them that level of control too, right? It looks like it belongs with everything else. It's not, oh, well, we went and grabbed this thing in and it's slightly different. Mm-hmm. And that's, we can relate this to what Eduardo said, which is we've been taught as Angular developers to never call function inside a template. Yep. So that was actually a really interesting decision from the Angular team, like the fact that they chose to use a syntax which uh, forces you to be calling a function in the template. Now, they could have just used the get accessor, like dot value. And it would actually fix another problem, which is type inference from TypeScript. Because for example, if you have, if you use TypeScript narrowing, so let's say that you have a signal which can either be a string or null. And then you you say like signal value equals, uh, type of signal value equals equals string. Then you know that it's a string, it's not null. And then you can use it in your, in all the child elements knowing mm-hmm. that it's going to be a string and it's not going to be new. So you can do like NGF and then you have it correctly type checked. But because it's a function, they are actually considering to add a custom type check to the, the TypeScript 
compiler checks in the template because, because it's a function, TypeScript doesn't understand that if you call it twice, it's going to return the same value. TypeScript thinks, oh, it's a function. You can return different anything. things all the time. <laughs> you can return anything. So uh, you you can't do the is string check and just expect it to be a string internally because if you call it again, TypeScript will just throw away the type narrowing check that you did. Now, one way to maneuver that is to create a variable. So instead of just calling the function twice, you call it once and then you save it in a variable. So for example, const name is equal to and then the name signal being called. And then you just do your is string in the name const that you just created. And then you just did your, your type check. But the problem is that in the template, it's not so easy to create variables. Right. So Yeah, I've seen this approach of some developers that uh, it, remi it reminds me the the days of AngularJS because they create a, a constant or a variable in the component called BM like view model and they assign properties with the signals so instead of so you 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 get the whole view model model of in your component and you can use that in your template and the values are automatically updated in in the component so you call the the signal function and you assign that to a property so it technically it works and you don't have to to call the function in the template. Yep. Uh, by the way, what did you thought about that when you were building your application? Was it annoying that you didn't have this type narrowing working as easily as it could have been? Or do you think that it's okay the way that it is and the fact that it's a function being called and then you just lose the type narrowing? But what do you uh, prefer? To be honest, I didn't mind the not having the type narrowing in the template as long as I have it in my component. I think that it's good enough. But I think that there's some effort to to have this a strict template checking or the the type narrowing like you mentioned. So it's going to improve the for well, it's going to improve the developer experience so you know actually exactly what variable and properties you have from your signals. But for now, it didn't bother me. Well, and I have to say that, you know, we've got some of these things where we're like, hey, you know, maybe it could be a little more, I don't know, perfect. But mm -hmm. I like that there's something out there that, hey, we can poke it, we can put it into our app, we can fiddle, figure out what's going on, and then we can come back and tell the Angular team, hey, look, this would be really nice. So maybe, yeah, maybe we figure out, you know, under these circumstances, the, the type checking would be really important. But under most other circumstances, it's pretty consistent, and so it's not a big deal. But yeah, I mean, kudos to them for at least getting something that we can go look at and play with and see what it it looks like. I'm kind of curious, did you feel like there were things that they could have done better or things that they should improve before they put it out? Is it ready for prime time or not? I think it was like just just in time to, for developers to try it. It was like uh, they have enough functionality so we can test it and we can give... Mm -hmm. Well, uh, th they released a developer preview for uh, in Angular 16 next O or the first version of Angular 16. Mm -hmm. And then they gave us the RFC around like one week or two weeks later. So I think that was a great approach. So we can test the current functionality and then we can we can improve it with comments on the RFC. So I think it was good enough so we can test what they are trying to achieve and get enough uh, like get enough information so we can comment more on the RFC and okay. get more more comment more valuable comments there so i think it was great yeah i really like that i've been saying that in the past episodes but 
I really think that the Angular team isn't being appreciated enough by the commitment that they are having with the community to open up to them and accept suggestions. Because at the end of the day, let's think about it this way. Angular was created by Google. So actually, although it is open sourced and we all benefit from it and I'm very thankful for it, it was actually made to be used by Google. Like the interests should be directed towards Google and they are opening up to everyone to give their inputs and the feedback. And they don't really have any monetary gains from that at all. There's the community effect of, hey, you you see that we value your opinion, so everybody mm-hmm. feels that they can actually trust the framework and they can adopt it, which makes the ecosystem bigger, which helps Google at the end of the day. But in a more short to medium term, there aren't really any other benefits that I can think of uh, for them to do that. So it's really cool that they do it. Yeah, I think that, well, I guess that the, the bad, uh, well, perception of, of the Angular team was from the IB change because it, it took like three years. If I recall correctly, it took around three years to get IB enabled and working for libraries and applications. And I remember that the Angular team at that time was like, Oh, the next big thing is going to be IB. You keep an eye on that. And it was like one year, two years, three years until we finally got Ivy, because it was on Angular, I think it was nine, but it was like partial support for Ivy engine. But after Angular 11, it was like, okay, we are ready. This is production ready for applications, libraries. And then after that, it came like the Angular team was so into the community and getting the feedback and, okay, so we are going to try this stuff uh, or we want your, we want to hear from you what do you want? And for example, standalone components, it was like a huge thing in the in the Angular community. And it was brought by the team. Oh, it was brought by the team and they mentioned that, well, it was like the, the main problem from, the, from Angular was the modules. Angular team has been so open to the community and they have been giving us some RFCs to like, main functionality or or changes that they want. I think that they learn from their mistakes from AngularJS to Angular 2 mm-hmm. or Angular or plain Angular migration or change. So not right now they try to keep everything working and, and they right. they try to streamline any big changes that they have and they are really open to hearing back from developers and, and community. Yeah, I agree. I, I kind of want to change gears a little bit just because I'm curious. So what do I have to do in order to give this a try? Let's say I want to go build an app and see how the signals are working and, you know, where I may or may not replace or make signals work with RxJS. Do I just go get the pre-release and then I'm good to go or are there other steps? Yeah, exactly. You only need to create an application using Angular 16. I think that the the latest is Next 7, but you only need to call the Angular CLI with at Next and that's it. You already have it enabled. No need to enable any flags or anything else. As oh, long nice. as you are using nice. Mm-hmm. So I guess the other question is, once I have it in, then yeah, how do I start adding it into the app? So do I just, just declare uh, a signal somewhere? Yeah, you only need to create a constant, like const something equals signal, and you add the, the initial value because every single has to have... Well, I think that they added a null or no initial value signal in the latest with the latest changes in in the angular signals uh, implementation 
but you only need to call that const something equals signal and that's it. You import the signal the signal uh, class from from Angular Core. I think that's the package. So, but VS Code or WebStorm auto- automatically do do that, so you don't have to worry about importing. And that's it. You already have a signal working. Is there anything that doesn't currently work with signals? For example, do we have any issues regarding server-side rendering or like any other parts of Angular that maybe aren't as smoothly integrated with signals yet? I don't think so. I don't use that much uh, as SSR or server-side render, but I think there's no, there are no current issues with signals, at least. I, I heard that there are some issues with the standalone components and PWAs and standalone components and server-side rendering, but as far as I know, for signals, there, there are no issues or that I'm aware of. Okay, and now I'm very curious to know, how do you actually do the bridge between signals and RxJS? Like we know that this is possible, but in practice, mm-hmm. how, how is it? Well, on the first release of, of Angular 16, there, I don't well, I don't remember when they implemented the from observable or from signal methods. I think it was on around B16 next three. With those functions, you can bridge between observables and signals because you you can easily change an observable to a signal and a signal to an observable and and the way that this works is that it uses the, the destroyed ref lifecycle hook i think it's a class but you you can well the, internally they use that to unsubscribe the observable when you change that to a signal. So the way that it works is that, for example, if you want to get, well, right now it's not from observable and from signal. They change that to be to signal and to observable. So for example, if you want to change an observable to a signal, you use that that function to signal and internally it subscribes to the observable. And anytime that the observable, observable emits, it sends a new value to the signal. So you get that working from the observable. And when the component, well, by using destroyed ref, the observable unsubscribes automatically. So you ha- you don't have to worry about that. And it, it's really good because you no longer have to worry about unsubscribing your observable. So, and for example, if you want to, if you have an HTTP call that it's an observable and you only need to do, to call that and to signal, and you have it working your in your component. No longer have to use the async pipe or subscribing in your component and then assigning the value to another variable. I really like the destroy ref. I know that it isn't exactly the subject here. I know that this is uh, is being used by by the uh, bridge between signals and observables. But I really think that this is so cool because a problem that I had with Angular, and this is actually the most popular article that I have on Medium was because I created a library that would allow developers to easily destroy unsubscribe to observables when the component was destroyed. Mm -hmm. So it used uh, some tricks with dependency injection. There's also a really good library from Netanel Bazal. I think it's, uh, yes, Netanel Bazal, which is NGNIT if I recall correctly, which also does a really good job at providing um, a clean way to automatically unsubscribe from observables when the component is destroyed. But everything got so much easier when Angular exposed the inject function because Mm -hmm. when we got that, we were able to just inject 
the view reference and the view reference has a callback for when the view is destroyed and then you can just turn that callback into an observables and then boom you can just call like use until destroy and then you have this observable that is going to emit when the component is destroyed and then you can just use that along with the take until operator of rxjs to automatically unsubscribe your observables and that solves a really big problem which was splitting your code so the place where you actually used the observables was isolated from the place where you managed the subscription and unsubscribed from it. So you had your ng on destroy with a bunch of unsubscriptions, no. but the place where you're actually using those subscriptions was elsewhere. And then the code gets a little bit harder, not impossible, no. of course, but a little bit harder to follow because things are separated. So now with Angular 16, they are exposing a new interface to listen to yes. the moment where the component is destroyed. And this injectable is Internet. the destroy ref. So you no longer need to inject the view ref and then listen to on destroy. You only need to inject the destroy ref. Yes. Which at the end of the day, it does the same thing, but it's a more... It's simpler. Mm -hmm. Yeah, simpler. And the responsibility is more isolated. Like if you just want to listen to on destroy, Internet. you may wonder, why do I need to inject the view ref? What is the view ref? What does that mean? <laughs> but uh, now you don't have that problem because you want to know when, the, when it's about to get destroyed, you inject something called destroy ref. You're like, oh, okay, <laughs> that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's, that's actually a really interesting thing. And even to developers that are not going to use no. signals as soon as it gets released for whatever reason, this is actually super useful to clean up your observable subscriptions. You can fully no. get rid of ng-on-destroy in most components because most components in ng-on-destroy, the only thing that they do, honestly, it's is unsubscribe. just unsubscribe. Yeah. yeah, you can create an operator function and then add that to the pipe in your observables and it will unsubscribe there. So it's going to simplify the way that I think that what the Angular team is trying to do is simplify the way that we work with Angular, having to learn the fewer topics or things before we can start and having it the mental mental models that we have to, to think about. I think that they want to, to, to have something that it's really easy for beginners to start working on and it's going to simplify the, the way that developer expert developers uh, code. Well, I think that this is something great that they are doing. Me too. And it's also good for the advanced use cases, right? Because signals yep. make the application much more performant. Like the, the real problem that signals solve beyond the developer experience, which is a problem, not going to devalue that, but the the other problem that it solves is that when you're in a really big application, even if you're using on push change detection in all your components, you're still not getting all the performance that you could get. Because if you're yep. using on push, like you're already doing manual change detection, like you should get more benefits than the benefits that you do get with on push. Like for those of you that maybe aren't aware of, when you're using on push, uh, a lot of developers think that if you're using on push, it only detects changes to your current component. But that's actually not true. It still checks the parent components too. Like it's not going to check the child elements mm -hmm. and child components from your own push component, but it's going to go upwards because it starts 
from the top until it gets to your component, always. Yeah. So yeah, you're still doing unnecessary checks at that point. Yeah, and now with with signals, we get this fine grain uh, reactivity and any change that had that, well, any signal that triggers a change will just update exactly the, the part of the component and no, it, it no longer have to, to, to recreate or check any parent or child component. And also we can get final, we, we finally can get rid of Zone.js, and this is something that the Angular team is also working on. I think that on the next release, it's not going, I don't think it's going to be a lab, labeled developer preview yet, but they have these uh, on Bootstrap application, they are going to add a function to provide the Zone.js function. So you can disable that and handle the change detection by yourself. This is not something that it's going to be production ready yet. And it's, it's something that we might not see even on Angular 17. But this is, I think that finally we will be able to have full soundless application and we can remove the overhead of having SoundJS loading and monkey patching every single event in the browser. So this is also something big that will land on Angular. I expect soon, soon, sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've never seen anyone removing Zone.js from production uh, currently, but I know that this has been a possibility for a while now because you can just inject Zone no op, mm-hmm. and then if you provide Zone no op in your app module, then it's not gonna use the actual implementation of Zone. It's just gonna it's just a mocked thing that doesn't do anything. It just provides the, the interface that Angular expects for Zone.js, but it doesn't actually do anything. But I wonder, like, this exists for a while. The Zone no-op exists for a while. But if anyone uses that currently, how do they code an Angular application? Like, if you use on-push change detection, then it, it works with Zone no-op? Uh, no, you will need to to add uh, check for, well mark for dirt and check changes or I, I don't remember the the exact function names, but you will need to handle that by yourself and you will need to add a lot of of extra code that the Angular team is trying to reduce. So you can uh, well I think that by the end they they are trying to get rid completely of Zone.js, but they are because they know there are a lot of applications that re- might rely on that or might not be updated really soon, they still keep that. So they are giving us the chance to still use Zone.js or remove it completely. And they will m- make the transition easier for us to just, let's say you you provide, I'm not sure if it's going to be an OOP function, but you are going to be able to replace the Zone.js implementation in your um, Angular applications, and that's it. And you are going to be you are you are going to be able to have a a full soundless application. I think that there are some libraries that actually use that kind of approach. For example, uh, I remember Rx Angular, or that's something that works with RxJS. And I think that they have this soundless implementation, or they they have this guide on how to implement Rx on Angular without sound or disable disabling Zone.js. Interesting. Okay. There is another entire topic that we haven't gotten into, but I'm really curious about, which is migrations. So first, do we have an easy path forward maybe with 
tools that the Angular team is going to create to facilitate a migration from zone-based components to signal-based components, or we will have to do it all manually. And that's something that some developers have asked me. I know there's some um, a schematic for migrating ng modules application to a standalone for this type of change for zone and at least for signals i don't think that this is something that it's simple well that it's easy to create an schematic because the way that your application you might have some observables and you might have some variables and no. the, the, the way that we work right now with rxjs and libraries i don't think that it's going to be easy to create something that works for for everybody. I guess that it can give some recommendations or like uh, kind of like some ESLint rules where with warnings or like information notices like this is something that you can change or you can replace this observable with a signal and to to signal method. But I don't think that something that I don't think it will be possible or at least with my knowledge I I don't find it easy to to create an schematic to automatically migrate this. It can be a combination of things but at at the end of the day, you will have to manually update a lot of code. I guess it can give you like this recommendation. If it finds some observables, it can say you can create a signal and just to signal method and that's it. But to actually manually update your code, I find it difficult to do. Uh, so I think that this is, this is a, a huge change that will well, it depends on the size of, of your application, but I guess that this is some, you, you are going to get to add some effort to, to actually migrate or change to signals completely. If you rely a lot on RxJS and observables. Gotcha. Yeah, I imagine that that would be the, the path forward because you're right. Like it, this is too intrinsic to the way that you organize your code base for a tool to automatically migrate it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if a tool could do that, then I don't think it would be a regular schematics. They would have to use perhaps artificial intelligence to to try to figure it out. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't see that <laughs> happening so soon, which is a shame because it would be so cool, right? If like yeah. new things were released and then you just run a script and boom, you're in the new version. That would be awesome. That's actually one of the things that we do a lot in in Envoid, my company is like, we do a lot of Angular upgrades. Like the client comes in and they're like in an older version of Angular and we help them migrate to the latest versions. This is kind of like an entry service. You know, it's like, you don't know me, I don't know you, but I see that you have this need and this is a service that we can get started working together and then the partnership goes from there. But it's it's interesting because it gets it's getting easier to to do upgrades. Like even though we're talking about something so big as signals, everything else that existed before is still supported. So upgrading to Angular 16 doesn't break your zone-based components, doesn't break what you had before. It's like you you're still going to get more benefits. You're still going to get performance improvements, security improvements, developer experience improvements. But those new features, they are optional for your use. So if you don't want to use them, then that's okay. Well, at least for now. I imagine that eventually <laughs> they're going to... They're, they are really not mentioning that. If you look at the RFCs, they're being very clever with their words. But the thing is, eventually I 
think that they're just gonna drop zone js but this is yep. probably gonna take a very long time because they do not they definitely don't want to make the entire community angry by making this big change so soon yeah i guess that they will mark those or, or zone applications or everything as deprecated and they are going to leave like two or three major versions and then they are going to be removed so that that gives enough time for the uh, LTS, well, the, the latest Angular LTS version to for companies to catch up. Here at Hero Devs, we we also work on Angular migrations. And and one thing that you mentioned is that you can actually tell this is something that they work on because on the first versions of Angular, Angular two, and then four, five, six, and I think that up to nine, you have to do a lot of changes in your code, manu- manual changes in the way that your application is built. But after that, if you jump from 9 to 10 or up to 16, it's just like, it's really easy and everything works. Even if you just change the Angular version, everything works and you can have your Angular application on your latest version. And if you want to to get the benefits of the latest changes or the latest updates, you, you, you have time to do that and you can like plan an upgrade time or project so you can implement those features while still having your application working in production. So I think that this is something that the Angular team has been doing really good, like don't break in anything. They, they learned their, their mistake from AngularJS to Angular. <laughs> so yes. Yeah, and actually that's another good point. I know that this, this what I'm going to say, may sound distant from the reality of most developers listening to the podcast, but I assure you, it's not so distant. There are a lot of developers in the situation, which is there are a lot of developers working still on Angular version one. There are still many applications that were written in AngularJS and they haven't been migrated to Angular version two, four, five, six, whatever. They are still running AngularJS so they're not, we're talking about like the benefits that we're going to get with signals. Like there are people that haven't even gotten the benefits from like <laughs> the IV compiler and typed forms. Like there's so many things that those projects are not getting because they are still on AngularJS. And I remember that there was a time where the Angular docs, they had a clear migration path from AngularJS to the latest version of Angular. But it's been a while since I haven't read that or seen how this is looking like nowadays. But I do wonder, as we progress in terms of features, and again, I'm not complaining about that. Let's add as many useful features as we can. But the more we progress, I imagine that it might get harder for those that are still running AngularJS to migrate to the latest versions of Angular. Do you have any information about that? Like, have you recently done any work from migrating AngularJS to a latest version of Angular? How is that migration path? Well, actually at Hero Devs 2, we, we work on migrations from AngularJS to Angular. So right now I'm working on one and, and we are jumping from AngularJS latest version one which which was 1.8 we were working on migrating that to angular 9 because that was the client application angular version but then they started working on updated that and right now they are on angular 13 and the, the, actually the change from angular 9 to angular 13 was just so small it didn't require that many changes and this is something that it's kind of like a complete rewrite 
if you were using AngularJS components, then it's kind of like uh, similar, not the same, but you, you get like the, the live hooks and you, you already got the on init methods on, on destroy. So it's, it's kind of, of uh, similar. But if you were on previous version of AngularJS where everything was on the controller and, and that directive, it's going to be a huge change. And, and you, you will probably have to almost rewrite your whole application to support Angular. So that's a huge effort to take. And, and that's the main reason that many companies still use AngularJS. Actually, for example, Microsoft was current, uh, recently released the Teams application, the Teams uh, version 2, or I'm not sure how they call that. And they released the current stack and the previous stack of, of technologies. Right now, they are using React, which is a shame because they, they should have gone with Angular. The, 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 the application that was running on production was AngularJS. So it was like, even in 2023, we still use, the major companies are still using AngularJS, which is good because the application or the, the framework still works, but bad because where are the security fixes and the performance and application improvements of latest frameworks and, and technologies. But the, to answer the question, it, it's a huge effort to switch from AngularJS to Angular. And that's the reason that you can still find many applications and companies still using AngularJS. But as time passes, it's going to be more complex and complicated. And right now, AngularJS is, uh, I think that it, it stopped getting any security fixes for four years right now. So as time passes, it's going to be more complicated and harder and riskier for companies to still use AngularJS. So. Yeah. So <laughs> what you're saying is that in terms of migration, we're kind of at the path where we're kind of at the point where you don't really migrate, you just rewrite. Kind of. You can use, if, if your AngularJS application was using components, then you can kind of like copy paste and, and then just update a couple of things. But if, if, if it wasn't, you will need to rewrite your application. So it's not like uh, just call the CLI migration script and you got the Angular application running. No, it's it, sadly, it's not that easy. So you, you, you have to do a lot of manual work. Gotcha. Yeah, but, but that actually sounds like a, like a fair point. Like you can just upgrade to the latest version of AngularJS. You try to migrate everything to Angular components. And then after this step is done, then you are more prepared for the actual migration to the latest version of Angular. Yeah, exactly. But now we're actually getting to a pivotal moment on that because even the lifecycle methods are changing with like yeah. signal-based <laughs> components. They have different lifecycle hooks. So even that is like, it's kind of like a window that is rapidly closing. Or, well, they could just still migrate to zone-based components, which would still be better than, than mm -hmm. AngularJS. And having AngularJS, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's a great thing because even though that we are getting new lifecycle uh, hooks and that signals is going to change the way that we code Angular applications, the previous way of coding still works. And it's, it, it's not going anywhere soon. So if you have to, if you are, for example, a, a company that it's currently moving from AngularJS to Angular, they don't have to worry that, hey, I, I'm getting behind and this is going to, to be deprecated too. And then I have to worry about migrating to signals and, and then I will have to create, to do another migration project. So it's safe to say that, uh, 
if you migrate right now, it's, it's still going to work. Your application is not going to be like, <laughs> it, it's still going to be good enough to go. Nice. One big problem that we haven't touched about in terms of migration are the other libraries, right? And I'm yeah. not even talking about the problem of migrating from AngularJS to, to Angular. I mean, if you upgrade from Angular 8 to Angular 9, it, it can, everything is going, everything that is Angular related and that you, you wrote is going to keep working because that was when they introduced the uh, IV compiler. But if the libraries that you depend on still don't have support for that, then you might have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. If you go, well, I think it was on version 11 or 12. I, I don't remember the, the exact version, but they removed the view engine completely. So if your library doesn't support IV, then you are left in that. Well, you, you won't be able to use that or you won't be able to to update to Angular 12. And that's something that Chowtran uh, share on Twitter. Uh, he is the developer behind Angular 3. Uh, he mentioned or he, he posted a poll that if if a library right now in Angular 16 uh, used signals, were you, ex- well, did, were you expecting to it have support to previous version of Angular, which doesn't have signals? In, in my case, I think, well, I voted to don't have support for previous versions. But I know that many companies doesn't have the the developer force to keep on latest latest versions. And also, if you go like, if your company policy is to be one behind, then it might create some problems or or troubles because you are going to have like, the latest version of the library only supports signals, but I don't support signals yet. And the previous version is not getting any support. And if I have a bug, it's not going to get a, a bug fix, so it might create some problems with third-party libraries. But as as long as Angular is related, they are trying to keep everything like simple, like don't break anything approach. But as you mentioned, third-party libraries are a different world, and it's going to be it's going to be a thing in its own. Yeah, yeah, that that was a great point. Like Angular can do as much as they can help a lot with keeping old versions still being supported and doing patch releases. But if the third-party library that you depend on doesn't do that, then you're just left hanging, right? Yeah. But I think that in the end, this is something good because it kind of forces you or developers, third-party, well, company developers, third-party libraries developers, and the same Angular framework developers to be up to date. For example, I remember that it was until Angular 11, I think that Internet Explorer was fully removed. And if you think that up to that point, it was like five years with no support for for Internet Explorer until we we could remove that from Angular. So by having this uh, quick or faster deprecation paths, I think it's it's something good. And we don't have we we no longer have to uh, worry about having this old or legacy system still working. Definitely. Well. Eduardo, I know that we've completely diverged from the initial <laughs> subject. That That's the thing about this podcast. We're always <laughs> diverging. Um, but I think that was really, really great. I think we should start wrapping up because otherwise it's just going to get like a yeah. super long <laughs> episode. But if, if I may, I'd like to close with one last question to try to help the developers that find themselves in that situation of 
of like, it's not that they can't do the update, but they have to convince the management side that it is worth doing this update. And it's a really difficult situation to be in because I can, I can understand both parties. I can understand how management doesn't want the risk and the, quite frankly, the money investment of migrating their systems. But it's also like, I, I also think that's a bad decision because it's a, it's a ticking bomb. You know, the longer yeah. time passes, the harder it gets for you to recruit developers because nobody wants to work on, on old technologies. And the ones that do accept that, they understand that they are losing their career progression a bit because after you you stay, like you join a company that is working on legacy technologies, when you leave this company, like two, three, four years afterwards, then during this period, you're not going to have a resume that other companies are going to be interested in because they are probably not using those legacy technologies. So it this is bad for management because it gets harder for them to, to attract and retain talent. And it's also bad for talent because they need to work on something that it isn't that beautiful, shiny thing that you are excited to, to work on. And they hear about the updates and they're like, oh man, I, I still haven't gotten the updates from, from like Angular 2. They're talking about Angular 16, that's so sad. <laughs> but I wonder what could be an advice for those developers, those tech leaders to bring that conversation to management. And yeah, like how would you go about this if you were in the developer situation? And also, do you think that the individual developer should be the one that brings that to management or maybe the tech leader or the CTO itself? I think that this is something that any developer in the team can raise their hand. Uh, this is something that, th this is inevitable. So sooner or later, you will have to do that migration or just deprecate your, ho your whole application. But the, the thing is that you, I think that the first thing that you can approach management or just uh, the stakeholder for the application is that the security risk of having, the, the, that's one major issue that if you are still on Angular JS for the company, this is a security issue or concern. Even it can be a huge problem because you are no longer getting. There, there are some end end of life support uh, services, XLTS, which is a side company of of HeroDevs provides that, and they currently release updates or security patches. But if you don't have that and you still rely on latest Angular JS version, you're you're a target for any security breach from anybody. So that's one main point to, to bring to the table. Also, the other thing is that as, as more time passes and as more developers shift to, to latest technologies, Angular, React, Vue, Solid, even Quick, you are getting, you, you, you won't have enough people that for one, know how to work with AngularJS and two, that they want to still work with AngularJS. Because right now, the people that we, we still work with AngularJS is people that we were there when AngularJS was released. But for any developer that maybe from three years past, they are no longer using AngularJS in any, anything. They are using Angular, React. So it's going to be harder to find new people that might support your applications in the long in the long term also as you mentioned this is not something if if you have two open positions and, and one is for angular and the other is for angular js 
the developer is going to, to jump to the Angular one. So that's something that that is to think about. Also, as I mentioned, this is inevit- inevitable. So sooner or later, you you will need to migrate. This you, you can you can have the Angular JS application running forever. So this is something that you will have to do. And the more time it passes, the more complicated and harder it's going to be for you as a company. Uh, you will require more people or the effort is going to be bigger. So, assu- uh, well, if you do it sooner, it's going to be, even though that it's going to be a huge effort, it's going to be better to do it before it's too late. I like that. Just one expansion, because you, you touched on a really nice point, which was security. I think that uh, it's kind of hard for developers to bring this topic of security because there is a real misconception that the big security risks are in the back end, not in the front end. And Mm -hmm. I don't disagree. I think this is true. Like if you have a security vulnerability in the back end, that is generally much more, a much bigger problem than front-end security issues, but still, this is a problem. So do you have specific examples that maybe the developers listening to this can bring to management in terms of like, these are the security risks that you are accepting to have because you are still on AngularJS? I don't have any example or a specific example right now, but for AngularJS or actually any front-end framework that you are using, this is the phase to the users that or to your clients. So you might have like a thousand clients, 10,000 clients, 100,000 clients that use your application. So if they target your front end application and they inject some code, they, they can, the, the reach is for all these people. Imagine that you inject, that someone injects, breaks your AngularJS applications, inject some component or HTML and JavaScript there. So all these 10, or hundred thousands of users that you have will have that security breach and it's using their browser. And now you, you have the web containers and then you can spin up anything in your, from the browser. That's something that Stack Blitz uses. So they can, you, they can have Node.js running on the browser. So if you think about it, if you have a, a security, uh, a security breach or a security issue on your backend targets you and all the information that you have, but it's at the end of the day, it's your company that it's the target. But from for front end applications, the security breach, the target is the users. So as it impacts, if you have a lot of users, it's going to impact them. And nobody wants to have, uh, well, to be a user of a, of, of a company that has been targeted by hackers. So I think that's, it's not a specific example that you might have uh, preferred. But I think that if you realize that all your users are targeted by the security breach, then you realize that it's a huge problem company-wise. Yeah, no, I, I love that analogy. Is security vulnerabilities to the back end affect your system. Security, security vulnerabilities in the front end affect your users. And at the end of the day, they need to trust that your system is secure. So I like yeah. that. Nice. Thanks. Okay, awesome. Eduardo, that was a great uh, conversation. I really like how in-depth we were able to go into a lot of things that are related to the new versions of, of Angular, not just signals. We were, we were talking about migrations, and I think that was a really useful subject to bring to the audience. And yeah, let's go to picks and promotions.
So starting with promotions, is there anything that you were working on or that you did, a product that you have, anything that you want to promote? Like this is the moment where you can literally <laughs> use this space as if you were a sponsor and just say whatever you, you are promoting. Well, right now, in my personal case, there's nothing. I've been trying to build a couple of side projects. You know, <laughs> as developers, we we tend to have side, side, well, extra domains for side projects that we imagine or that we are working on. Right now, I don't have any. But for HeroDevs, the company that I work on, there's open spots for Angular developers. So if you want, you 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 go to herodevs.com and you can go to the job board and apply there. It's a great place to work, not only for the projects that we work on, but the people that it's there. It's an awesome awesome place to work. So that's that's my, <laughs> that was my moment. Thanks. Awesome. I appreciate that, Lucas. No problem. And we're going to put the link to it in the show notes. So if you want to check out the open roles that they have on HeroDevs, then you can just go to the show notes and see about that. I forgot. I'm also the co-organizer of the Angular community meetup on, well, in Espanol, in Spanish. So we we have this meetup each second Tuesday of every month. So I will also share the link to you. So then the next one is May 9th. So if you want to join, it's completely in Spanish. And the what, what we are trying to do is to get more people or get more content in the in the Spanish for developers that might have uh, that prefer this content in in their mother language and not exactly on English. Uh, and this is this is the official or the ng-conf sponsor uh, meetup. So that's also a, a huge plus. And also there's, well, I'm also a Ionic developer expert and we are going to have on October. I, right now I don't have the exact dates. I think it's 17th, but I will share that with you. So there's going to be the Ionic Conf for this year. It's going to be live and I forgot the name of physical. Well, it's going to be a physical event. So it's going to be on Dallas, Texas. So it's going to be huge too. <laughs> Sorry if that was like a lot of mix up information, but <laughs> I, I I remember all of that right now. No problem, no problem. That was funny. It's like, oh, I don't have much. Well, well actually, I have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. And it's really nice to know all those other things that you're involved in. And that tells me how much more knowledge we can get from you. So I would be honored if, if you want to, to come back whenever. I'm sure that there's a lot to talk about in the Ionic side of things. I'm yeah. sure that there are a lot of new things to, to talk about too. So Yeah, I yeah. saw that you, that you have as guest uh, Simon Grimm. He's a huge developer in the Ionic community. So I don't think that I can match that, but I, I can do my best. So we, we can, well, I happily join another another day and have a topic for of Ionic if you want. Awesome. Okay. On my side of things, I'm only going to promote my company. So Envoid, we do design and development remotely, and we specialize in Angular development. So if your company needs help with anything or you want to you want help with migration, you're on AngularJS and you want to migrate or you're on a legacy version of Angular and you want to upgrade or you just want to develop a system from scratch, like all of those things, uh, it's well under our domain. Uh, so these are all things that we do. If you're interested in that, you can check out Envoid.com. For companies that want to completely outsource their project, we do that. We, we have plans that are fully managed. So we can do everything for your project from 
design, project management, development, all of that. But if you do want to have like more control and you want to be part of the process and just manage the individuals yourself, that's also super okay. We also do staff augmentation. So if you're interested in any of that and you need help with your project, then be sure to check out Envoid.com. Oh, also, if you don't have this need, but you know somebody that does, you can refer a client and earn up to 10,000 US dollars, which to me, which am in Brazil, that's a shit ton of money. So uh, (laughs) if you find yourself in that situation and you have somebody to recommend, then I'm going to put the link in the show notes. Uh, You can go to envoy.com slash refer clients. There's a hyphen, so refer hyphen clients. And then you, you can just submit the form and we'll talk to you and put you in our referral program. So this way you can earn up to 10,000 US dollars. Jesus, that's so much money. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, these are my promotions. And in terms of picks, like interesting things that maybe are not related to Angular or technology at all um, that I want to to bring, I'm just going to bring the Apple TV series about WeWork. It's called We Crashed. It tells the story about how WeWork started out and they grew as a company up until the point where everything went to shit. So <laughs> I'm really enjoying enjoying the storytelling. It like it's captivating. You can't stop watching. And I've I haven't like finished the entire uh, miniseries just because like I only watch when I'm at lunch. Otherwise, I'm just gonna waste an entire day <laughs> and not have anything to watch afterwards. But it's really good. So it's called We Crashed. It's available on Apple TV. So if you're into that, highly recommend. How about you, Eduardo? Do you have any particular picks? No, well, I been watching this show with my wife. It's I don't remember the name uh, on in English. It's kind of like this, Mom, why are we follow or something like that? It's on Netflix, and this is the tale of a mother and her daughter, and they are like kind of escaping. And but there's something odd with the mom. So if if I tell anything more, it's going to spoil the the show for everybody. But it's a good show. It, it's kind of weird at the start and you, you, you start to wonder what's happening and why. But uh, as you follow the, the episodes, it's it's like getting more, you're, you're getting more context of what is happening. So it, it's really, well, I find it good enough to watch. Awesome. Okay. I like that. Thank you, Eduardo. Thank you for your time. Like, honestly, this was such a valuable episode. And Thank you. I, I hope it was valuable for everyone else that was listening to this. And yeah, I'll see you all in the next episode. Thanks, Lucas, for having me. 